Love podcasts? You'll love Podcast Magazine, taking readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the show's fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, industry happenings, exclusive categorical charts, and independent ratings and reviews of under-the-radar shows. If you listen to podcasts, subscribe now at podcastmagazine.com and grab a free lifetime subscription while you can. That's podcastmagazine.com. This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Hello, Mary Goulet. Hello. Richie Ote, what's up, my brother? Hello. Boy, Wade's got under control in the studio. Kelly's got under control back at headquarters. And here on Reinvention Radio, we're going to have some fun, as we always do. And, uh, God, I can't. I, I would be remiss, though, if we just jumped straight into things here without at least acknowledging what's going on in the world. Are you guys scared, like, at all? Are you, no. You're not scared whatsoever? Not no. even a little? No. Nothing? Because no. you just can't ever imagine anything happening on our soil. I think we have the best military in the world. Which the only way to prove that out is to find out. I think right. So other countries are getting it. Yeah, I don't know, Richie. Are you are, like obviously we're talking about what's going on in Iran, Iraq, that whole thing there. I mean, it just I, again, I couldn't. I, I would be remiss if we didn't at least mention what's going on in the world there. So, are you? Does that make you scared, Richie? Like angry? Like what? What? What are your emotions around this? There's so many. Where is this the way the podcast is going to go? Because I can't do it in like ten seconds. Well, for right now, uh, we're going. For, that way. I don't yes. get. I don't ever get scared about any of this stuff. But it's not because of this president or last president or any president. I just there's a lot of super smart people that are all around our government, and most people get paid for clicks these days. So mm-hmm. good, bad, left, right. They're all loving just clicks. Yeah. So to me, I, I, I don't. So our president included, right? Oh, oh I yeah. I mean, when you look, and did you, did you see the video of him talking in 2011? Mary, did you see this video? I don't know which one you're referring so the video, to. Right, I know there's a lot of videos. So the video in 2011 that was posted of him saying how he predicts with almost 100% certainty that Barack Obama is going to attack, attack Iran. And the reason he's going to do that is because he wants to be reelected. And in order to be reelected, he's got to start this war. And he guarantees with 100% certainty that Barack Obama is going to start this war in Iran because he wants to get reelected. I mean, that, that's kind of the paraphrase. He basically followed on it. the script that he said. He basically followed the exact script. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe that uh, he, he ended that little rant with something along the lines of how pathetic. Okay. You know, so basically saying Obama would be completely pathetic if he did that, which he did not. But Iran started it this time because they killed one of our people. And he, Trump said, we're going to come down on you hard if because you can't behave that way. So that In terms was, of the embassy attack? Is that... Right. In the and embassy. they were... Okay, so Iran this time did start it. Yeah. And Trump just went, no. Then the... Iran got the save the face, so they emptied all of the embas- all the military 
barracks or compounds Mm -hmm. of all of our troops so they could bomb these vacant places. And now Trump's saying, okay, looks like they're standing down. Let's just move forward in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, just to throw in real quick, uh, Trevor Noah, The Daily Show. Yes, sir. As uh, he says, we're at the dude hold me back, bro stage of the fighting (laughs) where everybody's kind of posturing, but nobody really wants to do anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dude, hold me back. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's it is interesting to see where we are today and how globally we're perceived. And I just thought it was an interesting segue into our conversation with with Brendan. So we got uh, we got Brendan Burns hanging out with us here. So, Brendan, you've done you've done a lot of traveling. Yeah. I have. And it's funny that you guys are talking about this because I just got back from a week in Russia yeah, and I'm thinking about going to Egypt next. And so I was with some friends yesterday who said, are you sure you want to go to Egypt? Is that safe? And, uh, you know, I don't want to make a joke about serious situations going on, but I said, it's probably safer than Iran these days. Yeah. Right. You know, given the choices. So what, what, as, as you travel and, and again, we're joined today by Brendan Burns and we'll go into a lot of the fun stuff that you've got going on. Um, but, as you travel uh, as much as you do, especially around the world, what is the perception that you're seeing right now insofar as how people view the United States today versus eight, 10 years ago? Are, Are you seeing any sort of shift? What's going on in those conversations? Yeah, it's a good question, Steve, because I actually studied abroad in Barcelona for a semester of college. And this was in 2008. And so obviously Obama was coming into office, but there was a lot of this anti-America, George W. Bush perception abroad. And I remember people would actually, Americans would take their travel backpacks and uh, rip off the American flag and sew on a Canadian flag Mm. to actually defer the the jokes or the ridicule and things of that nature. Obviously, there are a lot of pros and cons to the Obama administration. Sure. I'm not here to say whether or not I'm a fan, yeah. but there was generally a more favorable global um, acceptance of his administration. And so traveling globally, people would either, I remember when I went to Myanmar, um, used to be called Burma, and uh, President Obama was the first American president to visit Myanmar in uh, many, many decades. So people, even when Trump had been elected as our president, uh, I would walk around the streets, this was a few years ago, in Myanmar, two years ago, and people would go, Obama, they would just put their thumb up and either guess that I'm American or because I'm white-skinned. So um, there was obviously that positive perception. Uh, In terms of the reception that I've seen uh, our current president, Trump, received, I remember that I was in um, South America last year. I, I was traveling through Paraguay and Chile, and uh, we'd be happy to talk more about kind of where this fits into the context. Yeah, of for sure. Who I am for sure. my, my business. But just to answer your question, um, there was a joke made, which was uh, someone said, you know, Trump is the first, uh, you know, it's like in South America, a lot of these presidents are either dictators or drug lords. And they said, welcome, you now have your first South American president. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and obviously he meant that lightheartedly. And, you know, there's a lot of good things that I'm sure he's done for our country. I, I'm not a very political person. But, um, you know, I, I mostly hear jokes from a lot of the people that I travel with. My goal is to connect with uh, lighthearted, open-minded people. And, for example, I'll just end with a quick story, which was I was just in Moscow, and there was a gentleman who gave our tour. He was about 60 years old, obviously lived through the whole USSR and Soviet Union. And he concluded his story by saying, please don't judge me and judge my friends and my family 
by what you see in Russian politics. Uh, we don't always agree. We certainly often disagree with a lot of things that our politicians do. So for example, we've all disagreed with things that American politicians have done, and we don't want um, our brothers and sisters abroad judging us for what uh, our leaders have done. Obviously, we vote for these people, but we don't always get the person we pick in office. So I thought that was a pretty profound statement that he left our tour group with, which is uh, Russian people just want peace and happiness and this and that. Not politicians, but just he's talking about himself and his, mm -hmm. his fellow people. Mm -hmm. And so for those that are not watching on the video here uh, and they're just hearing you, so you're a pretty white dude. I mean, you got the beard, you got, I mean, you know, but, you know, pretty white dude. So, like, when I travel, if I go to Greece or Italy or whatever, uh, some people might look and go, maybe he's Greek or Italian or whatnot. They look at you and go, yeah, that's just a white guy from the U.S. So, or Canada, right? So, do you, do, have you gotten any backlash anywhere at any point at any time or any rousing support if, because you're American? I can't really say that I have had a lot of either very positive or very negative feedback because of the color of my skin or mm -hmm. because of, uh, you know, where I've gone to. I would say for the most part, uh, people are intrigued by Americans, especially the further away from America you go. They say things like Hollywood and, you know, a lot of the buzzwords that we kind of take for granted or Michael laugh Jordan. at. Michael Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Michael Jordan. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys, things yeah. like that. Um, I have a really just... Like I'm thankful for my track record of going to almost 60 countries on six continents and never getting pickpocketed, never really having a problem. And if I did have a problem, I was probably maybe drinking too much. It was my fault. Mm. So I've had, knock on wood, like a really successful track record with traveling, like I said, to Russia. I've been to some countries in the Middle East, Israel multiple times. And uh, I haven't had a problem, but I cannot obviously speak for uh, yeah. all Americans who have traveled abroad. Yeah. So let's let's take a, a couple of steps backwards then, and, and and let's just make sure that folks are clear on what brings you uh, here today to join us on Reinvention Radio. So let's let's start with the work that you're doing now, and uh, and let's move backwards uh, from that. So so share the work that you're doing right now. Sure. So. I mostly focus on helping people with personal development, and I consider myself a life, business, and relationship coach. Uh, I watched all the webinars that tell you to pick a niche, and I just I couldn't do it. So I you picked them all. A bunch of different. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I do do a lot of executive coaching, and I work with co-founders of tech companies in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. I work with Wall Street executives here in New York City, where I'm based, and my background is in Wall Street. Uh, but I am definitely fascinated by personal growth, life coaching, relationship coaching. I've studied under John Gottman, so I have his level one and two trainings, um, which applies to both couples counseling as well as individual counseling. So um, I'm a coach. I have my own podcast, The Brendan Burns Show, and I do my own live events, and I do public speaking and mm -hmm. keynotes and things of that nature. And I've done retreats and small groups and things like that. Yeah. And, and so to that end, what because a lot of folks would like to do that sort of work and helping others, and I know you're really just honed in on how you can help others, what, what qualifies you from uh, a health or relationship or, or business, you know, life standpoint to, to help them? Yeah, so this whole how I got here today was based on my own personal journey. So if we go back in time to about 2013, I'm an investment banker on Wall Street. I have a serious girlfriend. I have my apartment in Midtown in Manhattan, 25. And I think I have my whole life figured out. 
just think, you know, and it's right when we think we're at the height of having it all figured out that it can sometimes come crashing down. And what happened for me was um, I basically got fired out of nowhere. I had just graduated from law school and business school at Cornell, spent a hefty sum to get that degree. And six months into my first job in banking, uh, they're basically firing me and shoving me out the front door. And then I come home to my girlfriend, we were living together and I was, we were talking about getting engaged and she's throwing all of my belongings into the hallway and saying that our relationship's over. And then I pick up my cell phone and my father's calling and he says, um, your brother's in the hospital and we're not sure if he's going to make it. And he was perfectly healthy a day before. Mm. So uh, that was a, my awakening. Um, and in turn, I was very, my brother wound up being fine. I found another job, but uh, the relationship really shook me to the core because I thought I was about to start a family with some woman and I thought out of nowhere, I'm now uh, moving back into my old apartment. And so what I did was I went to the Barnes and Noble on 50th street in midtown Manhattan. And I got a stack of books this big, which were all about uh, traumatic relationships. And the ones that really resonated with me were about emotional abuse. And there was a quiz that says, if you are follow three out of 10 of these things, you're being emotionally abusive. And I was 10 out of 10. Jeez. And I realized that my parents had done this to me. And I was in denial about having a very traumatic, abusive uh, upbringing filled with parents who had addictions and problems with, uh, you know, sometimes violence, sometimes drugs, things like that. So I went on my own personal journey of being very passionate about trying to heal my own wounds so that I could ditch the anxiety and the pain and find healthy relationships and a healthy relationship with myself. Um, and I'd always been very passionate about uh, uh, in entrepreneurship. I loved the four-hour work week when Tim Ferriss released that. I read it during law school. And so in the back of my mind, I thought maybe I would have my own hedge fund or my own business. But I spent about six years getting trained up by some of the best people in the world, including, by the way, the author of the, that book that I picked up, which was called The Emotionally Abusive Relationship. Because all the books on emotional abuse were written for women saying, the guy's a jerk. He'll never change. Here's how to leave him. And Beverly wrote one of the only two books I could find that were, hey, do you want to stop being this way book? Mm. And so I actually wrote her a personal email and she was retired, but came out of um, retirement and coached me one-on-one -on -one for about five years. And then I found a couple other experts in the world who uh, was, I was able to be fortunate enough to work with one-on-one. -on -one. And through those trainings and hundreds of hours of other people's trainings like Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield, I've been able to, uh, you know, really build the confidence and then deliver these types of results, not only from my own journey, but from these trainings to other people as well. Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, really, really powerful. So, so to that end, you know, it's, there's lots of different schools of thought in terms of how you help people uh, who, well, like you said, I mean, you were 10 out of 10, right? I mean, and I assume in this case, you were talking about how you treat other people. It, that's, that's what that quiz was for. But as you look at the answers to that test, obviously, it then stems in, it just flows back into what what you've experienced. So, you know, from from the standpoint of those who have suffered from abuse or suffered from any sort of, of trauma, you know, there's two schools of thought. There are the people who just say, all right, let's let's go back in time and let's let's relive that and let's repair that. And what would you tell that little boy who is blah, 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 and right. you know, that sort of thing. Or there's the other school of thought, and there's probably more in between, that are just, mm, look, that happened, let it go, like, let's move forward. Um, I'm more in that camp than the former. But tell us how, how do you help people 
resolve those issues and really start creating uh, a more powerful life. Yeah. So Steve, you're basically describing what a lot of people say is the difference between therapy and coaching, where therapists often will take a look back and do a childhood inventory and maybe do some inner child work and things of that nature. Whereas a lot of coaches say, let's just move forward. We got to look ahead. What do you want to do differently in your life? I do believe that there's a lot of value to be obtained from doing both of those things. I would say generally I err on the side more of where are you today and what do you want to do going forward about it? However, I certainly advocate positively for things such as writing letters to your inner child, uh, processing things from your past, maybe writing a letter to your mother or father you never send. So there's nothing wrong as long as you have a safe professional to help guide you through that process with going back in time and handling and processing some of those things because you definitely can repair them and rewire your brain, studies have shown. However, people do often want to live in the past and play a victim role or just kind of like identify with their trauma. And I certainly would not advocate for that. So there is cert there's definitely a time and a place to go back in time and handle some of that work. However, I would say the majority should be really focused on where we are today. So mm -hmm. most people, um, they're either focused on the past and then they feel depressed or they're worried about something in the future and we're anxious. But how about we live in the present moment? And so a lot of my work is actually about how you can become present to what's here right now. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? <laughs> like what are some of the <laughs> what are some what are some of those tips and strategies that you can share about about living more in that present moment? Yeah. So one thing is we could all just sit up right now in our chairs and put our feet firmly on the floor and maybe wiggle our hands a little bit. Mm. Take it. Sorry, yeah, you guys are awesome. Whack you. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. hit each other. Hopefully. Not hit each other. Um, abuse. That's number one on the list. I am being abused right now. <laughs> yes. Or I am abusing. Steve, come, yes. Uh, come ten come on, 10. Steve. <laughs> uh, stop it. No, but um, why don't you guys all take a deep breath and try to identify three things in the room right now that you wouldn't have noticed today already? Mm. So I see this uh, cable wire. Take a deep breath. I see. Um, you know, my keyboard piano over here and try to really breathe into your body and just kind of feel what's going on here. Just get out of your head a little bit and see if that helps ground you. That's a grounding exercise that we could all benefit from. Mm -hmm. So I have an issue because I'm only seeing things that need to be cleaned up. So what does that mean? <laughs> like, Still in a mode in of stress. Future, right? I'm like, what? Oh, man, I got a vacuum over there. I got to pick up this piece of paper. Yeah, so what, what does yeah. that say? Oh, man. I'm no, I mean, basically, that's just like a 15-second version of a lot of longer processes that I can run. Mm -hmm. um, th there are different meetups you could go to. You could obviously have a meditation practice. Uh, but a quote that I, I like to come back to sometimes when I'm feeling stressed is, what problem do I have right now? And I might say, oh, uh, well, I have these bills to pay or this thing tomorrow that I'm worried about, right? I'm nervous about some meeting tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But you say, well, but I'm here right now and I'm okay right now. What problem do I have right now? And so that's a, a question. That's a grounding question that you can bring you back to the present moment. Um, there's a book by Eckhart Tolle called The Power of Now, which is the whole book is just kind of a one long reminder to get back to the present. Mm -hmm. So these are a lot of different things you can do to, to help you with that. Mm -hmm. I don't really mm -hmm. know why that book was so popular. How many, I mean, it was like, what, two pages? Like, how long did it actually have to be? It's like one of my favorite <laughs> books ever. I went to the grocery store and it said, uh, everything that men know about women, and you open up, the whole thing was, was blank. Empty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. But that's, that's part of what I think meditation practices in general. You know, I think back when I try to meditate, 
sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll go, oh, man, I got to hurry up and get this done because I got to go to Sprouts. And mm-hmm. and then I'm like, oh, back to center. And then I'm like, man, I hope this gets over quick because now my left butt cheek's tingling, you know, oh, back to center. And then it And then it just reminds me, instead of getting frustrated with thinking about those other things, I kind of laugh and joke with myself and say, that's what this is all about, about just coming back to center. So when those things happen, it is still part of the practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's literally part of it. So if those things don't happen, you're not getting as much practice in. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a shorter version of the book called Practicing the Power of Now, which is barely even 100 pages. And to your point, Steve, it basically repeats over and over again just to become present. And so it is interesting. Why is this book so popular and powerful? One reason is because Oprah promoted it heavily. But the other reason is is because I think if you had a 200-page book that on every page said, everything's okay, slow down, Mm -hmm. be in the moment, maybe that's what we need. Yeah. So give, so give us an example here, because some of the work that you've done with uh, with your clients is, is really, really, really powerful. I mean, you took a, a woman that was addicted to heroin and got her to quit uh, after just a couple of sessions. Yeah. Did you just take all of her money? <laughs> that's, one I mean, that's, that's one way to get somebody to quit right just yeah just pay me all that money for coaching and then you can't afford the exactly drugs. i mean I, actually that's a that's gonna be my coaching practice that's how i help you break bad habits yeah i like that idea i'm very passionate about addiction coaching because in the past i've had issues i wouldn't classify myself as an alcoholic but i would definitely kind of lose control when i would drink too much or even with food or even with money spending when i was on wall street so addiction is something that I'm very passionate about and I've helped a lot of people with. Um, with this woman in particular you're, you're referencing, I actually coached her mother. So I never even had uh, access to her. But just by coaching her mother, I was able to get her off in, like you said, three sessions from using heroin every day to sober. And the way we were able to do that was um, by actually removing the biggest source of love from this woman's life, which was her mother. And so uh, a big thing about addiction is we often enable addicts uh, when we think we're trying to help. So with this daughter, for example, her mother was her rock, was her number one, the most loving person in her life. And she had access to her mother and she had access to drugs too. And so what I said to the mother, who was my client, was um, we're going to do a test where you're going to basically tell your daughter that she has no access to you and you guys are cold turkey, no contact, until your daughter agrees to go into an inpatient um, program, which by the way, you can, I'm happy for you to support her financially paying for that, but let's do an experiment and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was probably the hardest thing that my client ever had to do in her whole life because you're taking a risk and saying you're going to lose your daughter forever. But it turned out to be the situation that I thought would unfold, which was after a couple days of this and a lot of panicking from my client and me reassuring her, Um, the daughter came back to her and said, okay, I I know I need help. I'll get into the program. And so I don't want to say that getting off of a hard drug like this is normally going to happen in a couple of weeks, because even if you go to rehab, the retention, you know, the success rates can be in the the high teens. But this was a positive rate where we were able to stop enabling the addict and remove the biggest source of love from her life and attach that to uh, getting clean as opposed to, oh, you can still have all my love and continue to do uh, these types of drugs. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to 
to hear how the mother handled it when she was in rehab and when she got out. Because what is the writ writ of what is it called when you go back into jail and like just like start over? Re- again? Recidivism. 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 Exactly. Something like that. So, race, yeah. so did she kind of say something like, "Hey, and if you ever do it again, I'm not talking to you anymore"? Like, was there? That was literally just so, that yeah. one thing, and going in there was enough. Yeah. So that. So I actually coached my client on this very carefully. Um, you never want to say to an addict, um, "If you use again, I will leave you." Right. A lot of people like I, I do a lot of uh, men's work actually, and I coach men who have problems with uh, porn addiction and things like this. And a lot of the wives will say, "If you ever do this again, I'm gone." And um, I think it's important to have healthy boundaries, and I respect all women who have those boundaries. But if you're talking to someone who's brand new with addiction, there is a strong chance they will relapse at one point or another. And the best thing to do is say, you know, I, I'm gone if you don't work on it, if you don't get help, if you don't get a coach, if you don't get treatment of some kind. Because yes, recidivism is real in jail with criminals and with addicts, and so you. I would recommend not threatening um, use again is I'm going to cut you out. It would be more like if you're not willing to work on this and Mm. try, because there's also a lot of shame around addiction. And, you know, a lot of people do it in hiding and they feel bad when they mess up and have a lot of shame around it. So yeah, addiction is is quite a complicated field, but uh, I have had success both with myself and my clients that have helped with this. Mm -hmm. It's always been interesting to me when it just comes to addiction in general, or let's just say the difference between good habits and bad habits. Good habits seem to, you don't seem to uh, benefit from the results until down the road, and bad habits, you seem to benefit from the results right now. Instant gratification. You know, and so it's just interesting when you're talking to an addict, like, and they've gone through that, like what kind of conversation are you actually having? Hey, you've been doing great. Like, do you even remind them about that? Because there was something that was triggering that action in the in the beginning. When you just think about habits in general, do you even bring any of that up, or do you only wait until it comes up? Like maybe they start using again. Yeah. So uh, addiction is a great question, and addiction has a lot of layers and complexity to it. Generally, at the highest level. Uh, people are obviously looking for that instant gratification, but they're also looking for a way to avoid pain. One of the things that I try to just put out in the open is that life is hard. Being a human can be difficult. And so with life comes a lot of great things, but it can also include a lot of challenges along the way. And so when you become addicted to something, what you're really doing is you're in, you're feeling those painful emotions, or perhaps you're not feeling them and you're suppressing them. And you're looking for something to cover up that pain. So one of the things that I like to say uh, is that it doesn't really matter what the substance is. If it's alcohol, if it's food, if it's compulsive shopping, which I've seen, hard drugs, it's not about the drug or the product. It's about how you feel before and then how you feel after you use the drug. Um, So it's really important when I'm working with people to identify what is going on inside of you. Do you feel a lot of shame about who you are? People who are neglected or abandoned as children, for example, blame themselves. Or people who are bullied blame themselves. And so they have a lot of low self-worth. And so they compensate with that shame by using drugs. Or they have a lot of fear around potentially getting fired. Or they have too much stress, like the Wall Street guys I work with. Way too much stress, no self-care. 
uh, anger towards their boss, towards the people on their team. And how do they deal with that anger? Alcohol or mm -hmm. seeing other women or, or even cocaine, things like that. So it's rarely about what the actual product is being used. Uh, a, a funny story that I heard from Tony Robbins at one of his events was there was this center in California that guaranteed that you would quit smoking in 30 days or your money back. And what they did was they actually attached all these people to these electric voltage shocks. And every time you, they would have them, people take out a cigarette and every time you took a puff, you'd get 5,000 volts through your body. And so they would come in every week, they'd hand out the cigarettes, they'd hand out the voltages. And after uh, a couple months of this, they, everyone was clean from cigarettes, but they did a follow-up study a year later of all of these people and they all came back and they were either alcoholics or they were very overweight or they were doing something else because you wow. took out the bad thing, but you didn't replace with good habits or new channels to process the painful emotions. Mm -hmm. You know what I heard once, because I'm a holistic health practitioner by trade that went to school for it. And the guy, the instructor always said, if you're going to help someone with an addiction, give them a good thing first and then take away. Yeah. Like fill it before it's empty. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th that's that's really well said because uh, actually one of my old coaches, his name is George Collins, and he's an addiction specialist based in Walnut Creek, and his father was uh, was an alcoholic at, for his whole life, and then one day decided to just quit cold turkey, and uh, which I, I don't recommend unless you're supervised, especially with it's alcohol or a hard drug. And a couple of weeks later, he took a shotgun uh, to his face and killed himself. And tragic story but you're, you're absolutely right mary it's we you know addiction solving addiction is really about two things it's stopping using the thing that you're using the drug or the alcohol and it's also creating a better life so finding a your passion in life and your career for example finding better friends finding connection i like to say that the opposite of addiction is connection so just getting some good safe friends in your life will help that organically um, but also finding new ways to handle the pain. So like you said, you can't just quit the thing. You have to also have something to fill it instead. Mm -hmm. So let me let me ask you this. How, how in your, I mean, in your practice, I'm sure you see this all the time, and then just kind of seeing folks around who perhaps are, are potential candidates for being a, a client. How How do some of these past issues show up to you in the present? Like what, what are some of those signs that you intuitively pick up on? Because I'm sure that you, you put yourself in a position where you're not going to take on a client that you don't think you can help. So, right. or though maybe, although maybe you do, you know, and just give yourself that challenge. But are there, are there particular signs that you see? Like how does, how does it show up in people's lives on the daily when there's been abuse or when they need help and, and 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 of course we're not talking about you know business and uh, and whatnot this this is strictly on a, on a personal level uh, and then maybe you want to share how that shows up in terms of relationships for people that need that that guidance as well yeah absolutely so the first thing that i like to say is i don't ever coach people or or try to coach people who don't want help and there are a lot of people out there who need coaching but don't want it. Now I'll go up to people, of course, to drum up business and to sell seats for my events and talk to people and be proactive. But I, I always like to use Zig Ziglar's three-part test for uh, get, you know, making a sale, which is you need someone, you got to have someone who needs it, someone who wants it, and someone who can afford it. Mm 
And for a long time, I would just find people, I think most people would benefit from what I have to offer. So most people need coaching, uh, certainly some more than others. Uh, then I would start to elevate the the level of people I would talk to. So Wall Street guys, I coach some NFL guys, pro athletes, uh, mostly retired athletes, so uh, they can afford it. But the biggest thing that you're really looking for is someone who who wants it. And the the best candidates who want coaching generally have an idea at least of on the outer surface what they're looking for help with. So sometimes I just do career coaching. Sometimes I do business coaching, entrepreneurship coaching. So for that, it, it's pretty uh, basic. But to answer your, your deeper question, Steve, someone who has a past of abuse or neglect or anything like that, generally they have problems with their relationships and the quality of your relationships can dictate the quality of your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I work with a lot of men and women who aren't in tune with their masculine or feminine energy. They're not in tune with having a good relationship with themselves and they generally don't cultivate the life that they want. They don't make bold enough asks. They don't rise in companies and not because they're not talented. Most of the people I work with are talented, but they're not optimizing their potential. And then obviously in romantic relationships, uh, I could talk at length about that, but there's attachment theory and based on how we were raised and what kind of trauma we experienced as a child, we can become very anxious attachment style or very avoidant. Men are generally more avoidant, not a want intimacy. The women are generally more anxious and they, you know, they obsess over the text messages, not always men, women like that. Like my past was I was neglected. So I developed anxious and I would ruminate over relationships and keep score of, you know, I, they waited an hour to text me back. So let me do the same. Mm -hmm. And so these uh, generally, you see a lot of problems in romantic relationships if you have that kind of past. And so I help people if they want it. A lot of times people come to me for business coaching and then I see an opening for a relationship, but I check with them for permission first. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they want to do that work, because it can involve painful emotions, we'll go there. Um, but often I'll have people come to me and say that they want help with their relationship and I can support them on that. Yeah. Is, you, yeah. is that why you didn't niche down and you do business relationship and because you realize they're, it's not really compartmentalized, they, they do branch into each other? That's one reason, yes, because they're so interconnected that for someone to say, I do this specific type of coaching, well, if you're really good at what you do, you're probably using a lot of the same underlying uh, psychology and and techniques that you would use in another area of coaching. And the other reason why I like these different areas is because I like to force myself to grow in different areas of life. And one of my coaches once said to me, teach what you most need to learn. And so I've had a lot of success with my business, thankfully, and now um, I was in a relationship for about a year and now I'm, I'm single and looking for uh, to create something different and new and better. And so I'm teaching what I most need to learn in the relationship sphere as well. So I can elevate my game there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we got just a couple of minutes left and we're gonna have to let you, let you jump here. But um, it's, it is interesting how part of what you do and, and part of uh, your process of, of finding clients, which I know is a challenge for, for a lot of folks who are in this, this whole coaching world um, is you share your travels on Instagram and so on, and you've built up a pretty good following there. And, and yeah. it's super interesting because you are basically personifying the life that a lot of these people want. So you get to go and you get to do all these fun travel things. And like you said, 60 countries, six continents, right? I mean, just awesome. And then you share those photos and then people see those photos and then, you know, hey, if you want this life too, 
let's chat, right? I mean, is that is that kind of the game plan there? And do you ever feel scummy about that? <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, like, I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> No, they're paying for him I'm to travel, happy. right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think what you what you really want to do as a coach is uh, live what you want to teach. And like, I do feel I can add a lot of value as a relationship coach, but I haven't been married twenty years, so my primary form of coaching is not on relationships. Mm-hmm. It would be on business and lifestyle entrepreneurship and things of this nature. Yeah. Uh, or executive coaching with my Wall Street background, but. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what their niche is and they're super passionate about this one thing over here. And maybe that's because they really want it. Like I've talked about in my relationships and it's okay to do that. But I would encourage every coach to think about what they've been able to do for themselves really successfully. What's either the biggest challenge you've had in your life that you've overcome or the biggest accomplishment that you've had that you worked your tail off to do and you know so much about it. And then display that to the world, show your before and after, give people some free advice on your social media about how they can do that. And then you, I feel like you're more qualified to teach that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in terms of my travels, that was more like how this all started was it was a little bit more surface level. I was kind of like a travel foodie influencer and hit the wave of being an Instagram influencer when they were giving out all this free stuff. And that was cool. But over time, what I learned was I wanted to share a, a deeper and more powerful message with people. So um, I don't really do those free influencer deals anymore because yeah. my account is mostly a motivational account. Um, and I try to use that to inspire other people and, and add value there. But certainly people are attracted to the sexy nature of the, you know, I jump on a plane, I use my points, yeah. I fly business class because it is credible, right? I have my own business. I can run it from anywhere in the world. I have a team that does most of my work for me. So uh, it, it's credibility. And certainly that demonstrates that I have something that people might want to hire them, hire me to teach them how to have. Yeah. It's awesome, man. We covered a lot of ground here today with Brendan Burns. Brendan, if uh, folks want more information about you, where uh, where are some of the best places for them to go? Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So at the Brendan Burns Show on Instagram, which is also the name of my podcast, or brendanhburns.com on the website. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on and uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, us too. And uh, safe travels and uh, really appreciate all the good work that you are doing there in the world. So check out what Brendan Burns is doing and uh, check out his podcast as well. And then, Brendan, we got to get you uh, we gotta get you subscribed to Podcast Magazine, man. Did you sign up yet? I will sign up right now if I haven't already. Podcastmagazine.com. You got to do it, man. You got a podcast. You'll love it. And we got to figure out how to get you featured in there at some point. So there you go. Banging on the keyboard. I love it. All right, my friend. I'm on it, guys, right? In real time. In real time. All right, we'll talk to you really soon. Okay. Thanks, Richie, guys. yeah, man. So, Richie, Mary, it's, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting show to, to kind of kick off the, the beginning of the year here with as so many people try to figure out exactly <clears throat> where they are and what they want. Uh, you know, for this year and potentially for this for this decade. So, yeah, I think, you know, like making New Year's commitments or resolutions, take some introspection, you know, figuring out what worked well in the past year. What do I need to change habitually or mm-hmm. um, mindset yeah. to make it up level in 2020? And I'm sure, Richard, what's your word of the year? You've got to have some ideas how you want 2020 He's to go. He's done with those words of the year. Are no, I'm, I'm not. I'm trying to figure. I don't have the word yet. I don't have the word yet. I had nuance two years in a row. I like buttock. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to fit so many conversations so well. But um, 
I almost used it. <laughs> um, buttock. Exactly. Instead uh, of saying butt, just say buttock. It's, for me, it's really been about what I'm not doing more than what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's helped me more. Like, literally, since probably August of last year, I've just focused on pruning things back, not trying to do too many things. And it really seems so ironic that the less I try to actually do things, the Mm -hmm. more is getting done. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously being really intentional about what you're doing is a part of that as well. And, you know, look, you look at this, this kid... I mean, let's be honest, you know, I mean, what is he, 31 or two? Two, yeah. you know, 31, 32, just a, just a pup. But at the same token, it's like, that's why you can never, number one, judge a book by, a co- by its cover. Number two, you can never sit there and say that everyone, you know, doesn't have someone to teach, is something to teach. You know, like ev- yeah. everyone has something to teach, something that you can take away and apply to your life and you know, learn from no matter how old they are. And, and this, this gentleman here is a perfect example of that because i mean certainly wise beyond his years years and, and what a what a great presence like mm-hmm. just watching him here because we all for those of you who don't uh, know this we also record these as videos and occasionally we post them somewhere i don't even know i can't even direct you to something maybe reinvention radio.com i'm not even sure at this point i should probably know my stuff better than that but uh just a really good calm presence and like you know we talk about the power now and whatnot all right anyway we got to jump but lots of great stuff there from brendan burns and uh love you guys wishing you the best for 2020 and so for mary goulet and for richie ote for white wade and kelly pucker i am steve olsher and we will talk to you guys next time here on reinvention radio take care everybody You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com.